0: in this episode of the nurse dose podcast we examine if you really need a pulse what's up guys this is sean from the nurse dose podcast and today is going to be a weird one um We're going to be discussing, if you can have a discussion with only one person, we're going to be discussing if you really need a pulse. Now, let me explain this by asking you a question. If you are in an ICU, especially a CVICU, um, and probably a MICU as well, have you ever had a patient who is on any kind of ventricular assist device, or even ECMO, that? goes into a pulseless rhythm and you lose pulsatility to the point where your A-line is just giving you a map and nothing else. With this episode, I want to explore this situation and discover if this is something that is okay and what the experts are saying we should do in this situation. Of course, you and I who are outside of the hospital, who are not patients, of course we need a pulse in order to be alive. And that pulsatility is generated by the heart beating. So how is this even possible in patients that um, we take care of? So there are many different ways that this can happen. Um, I say many, but honestly, it's a handful of situations. It's uh, usually if you have some kind of ventricular assist device. um, Now, there is um, ones that a lot of people see is the impella devices. And then, of course, if you're in any kind of unit that is bridging to heart transplant, you might see the beefier um, ventricular assist devices that patients actually go home with. Um, that are surgically implanted and then other than that you can look at va ecmo as another it's not really a ventricular assist device more of uh, a circulatory support as it's pretty much bypasses the heart and does provide systemic um, circulation um, along with the heart's native cardiac output uh, so these devices and these situations, if the heart natively stops its pulsatility, you could end up with the device providing all of the forward motion of blood. And if you are not experienced in this and you have not seen this before, if you're in a um, facility where this does not happen a lot, where you don't get a lot of impellas, you don't get a lot of ECMO, you don't get any ECMO at all. It can be really frustrating and really confusing on what you are supposed to do in these situations when the heart goes into, let's say, VTEC and your patient now does not have a pulse or if you just go into a cardiac arrest and you have some kind of asystole but the device is still providing enough forward motion of the blood that you still have a MAP, um, but no pulsatility. You you no longer have a systolic or a diastolic. You just have that one number now on your A-line. Now, a lot of the research on this subject is actually done for when people go on cardiopulmonary bypass or when people are put on bypass for um, certain cardiac surgeries. And that's pretty much the closest that we can get. There are a few studies that go over... um, VADs, which are pulsatile versus VADs that are not pulsatile. Um, But in one study, one um, abstract that goes over a bunch of different studies that have been done, it's shown in animal models that pulsatile flow during um, cardiopulmonary bypass uh, actually resulted in higher global cerebral blood flow, improved cerebral metabolic rate, and higher cerebral oxygen delivery. Now, I know a lot of y'all who are in the CVICU know that when a patient comes out um, from a surgery that is requiring them to be on bypass, that there is some brain fog um, that is associated with being on bypass. Now they are discussing different techniques in which bypass could be pulsatile and that this might improve cerebral function. So this is one thing that is actually supporting for um, pulsatile flow. Additionally, there was a study done by Alkin et al. that actually used biological markers and clinical outcomes to compare pediatric patients' responses to pulsatile versus non-pulsatile bypass. So overall, the pulsatile perfusion group had better clinical outcomes with less support, uh, be it by inotropes or um, other drips in general, and they had shorter intubation periods and shorter time spent in the um, ICU overall. Um, Additionally, urine output was higher during the procedure and during the ICU period with the pulsatile perfusion group. Um, However, there weren't really any differences between the two groups um, when it came down to creatinine um, and other enzyme levels. So it does still seem like there is some benefit to having pulsatile flow And what it is, is kind of a mystery at this point. Um, A lot of people are thinking that it goes down to the molecular level, that there is some kind of uh, mechanism which allows for things to happen at a molecular level whenever you have pulsed tile flow. So it's very interesting, but what's also interesting is that there was negligible um, differences between the creatinine of both the pulsatile and the non-pulsatile groups, which is something that we usually use to um, show any kidney damage or kidney function. Another thought with pulsatile flow is that you have a systolic and a diastolic, while non-pulsatile, you just have a mean arterial pressure. So with that systolic and diastolic and pulsatile perfusion, you will have a pressure that is actually significantly higher than the MAP that is being produced during systole. Um, So this may uh, play some part in causing better perfusion as if it is pushing the blood in better. That's kind of the um, image that I have in my head that, that higher pressure, even though it is for a split second, still increases perfusion. Now, there's also another study done in 1982 that also looked at this concept and showed that that there is a general agreement among previous investigators that non-pulsatile perfusion is associated with an increase in peripheral vascular resistance. It then goes on to say that there is a marked increase in vasoconstriction that leads to the increase in uh, peripheral vascular resistance that then sometimes warrants the use of nitroprusside to get it back down to normal levels. They then argue that if some kind of pulsatile bypass technique could be used, that you could uh, skip over this complication after bypass and have better outcomes. Now there is some debate on if uh, a mechanical pulse pressure that is done via some kind of device is as good as a physiologic pulse pressure done by the heart and there was a study done by Voss et al um, that actually showed that the pulse towel, um waves that came from uh, a mechanical device actually did not improve end organ perfusion and actually induced some blood trauma um, so you know there's some kind of damage to the blood cells leading to um, all kinds of issues. So that is very interesting and it goes into our um, VAD stuff because a lot of these VADs were previously pulsatile and the newer ones are starting to come out to be continuous flow with no pulsatility. Um, And this allows them to actually be smaller and more compact and also lightweight. So it is seen as an improvement. Um, and it then goes on to say that it's really hard to extrapolate findings from uh, bypass studies into these VADs because you're only on bypass for you know, a few hours while some of these people on VADs are on them for weeks, months, maybe even a year at a time. So as they wait for transplantation. So it is something that you can't really extrapolate and it's something that we don't have a lot of data on. Now the main purpose of an LVAD is to help with left ventricular unloading. And this will help with reverse remodeling which will cause the heart to kind of recover in a sense. Now a lot of the patients that have an LVAD are using it as a bridge to transplantation so the thought that this is going to reverse the remodeling that was already done to a point where um, the heart is then, you know, back to baseline is not realistic, but um, it does allow for better outcomes to transplantation. Um, And so these studies say that um, pulsatile VAD support actually provides greater left ventricular unloading. So this shows that maybe you know pulsatile flow using a vad might be better when looking at reverse remodeling via um, left ventricular unloading because it causes a decreased pressure in the left ventricle which then causes a decreased pressure in the left atrium and these are things that allow the heart to rest uh, the heart does not have to pump as hard against a um against a higher pressure so it seems like in general, pulsatility is preferred. However, I want to get back to our original scenario in which you have a patient that is on some kind of temporary support, be it ECMO or um, Impella, VA ECMO to be specific. Um, there is a blog that I really like, and it, this article I come back to so often just to refresh on what to do in this situation now i'm not saying that this is something that you should follow of course every hospital every unit has their own policies every doctor has their own orders so do not use this as a template for uh, treatment but use it as a guideline as to what to expect in a situation like this so I'm going to link this blog post in the show notes, and it's really great because it goes step by step through the situation. So first it states that there is a 45 year old patient that was transferred to the unit and started on ECMO two hours prior, and that a emergency alarm has gone off. Um, So the first question is, what is the first thing you should determine if a patient arrests on ECMO? Um, And the answer depends on if it's VA or VV. For VV ECMO, uh, cardiac arrest is associated with a complete loss of cardiac output. Um, But with VA VA ECMO, the ECMO circuit likely provides at least partial circulatory support despite the arrhythmia as the ECMO machine is acting as the pump because you will have um, one catheter that is taking Um, blood from the venous side and then you'll have it going through the circuit coming back and then being pumped back into the arterial side so there is going to be some circulatory support there um, despite the arrhythmia so the next question is you establish that the patient is on va ecmo and has had a cardiac arrest what should you check next Um, So the first thing you're going to check is the ECMO circuit. You're going to make sure that you are maintaining um, some kind of perfusion. um, Here it states greater than four liters per minute. Um, If not, you need to check if there is pump failure, if there is decannulation, if there is air embolism, or if there is some kind of thrombosis. Uh, So the next question is, should you do chest compressions for cardiac arrest in a patient on VA ECMO? Um, And this really depends on whether the ECMO circuit is still perfusing the patient like we were talking previously, if it's greater than four liters per minute. So if the circuit is maintaining systemic perfusion, then you do not have to perform chest compressions. Um, So even brief periods of low flow can usually be tolerated is what they say. Um, If there is a pump failure, you do need to switch to the hand crank, which I've never had to do and I hope I never have to. Um, But if there is no circuit flow, then you should manage as per ALS guidelines until ECMO can be reestablished, saying that um, you should be giving adrenaline boluses every one to two minutes before reinitiating ECMO support. Um, So during this um, situation, what will the arterial line show in a VA ECMO arrest? Um, So there will be a loss of arterial pulsatility due to a loss of native cardiac output. So this will result in an arterial flat line and the mean arterial pressure will likely drop depending on the ECMO support, but you will have that map. So you'll have that number in parentheses and that is your map. So question five is what rhythms would you expect to see so the rhythm may be non-shockable or shockable um, so for non-shockable rhythms like asystole and pa and then there are shockable rhythms like v-fib and v and next it goes on to ask what are the treatment priorities in a cardiac arrest in a va ecmo patient so the following principles apply while trying to identify and correct the underlying cause. So if it's a shockable rhythm like VTAC or VFib, you will defibrillate, um, you will use amiodarone. And um, it, this article says to avoid um, epiboluses and consider titrating vasopressors to target MAP. Um, next, if it's a non-shockable rhythm, you would still, uh, per this article, um, avoid the epiboluses and consider titrating inopressors and uh, other pressors to um, your target map. So the article then goes into what could cause it. So it's gonna be all of your typical H&Ts, hypoxia, hyperkalemia, hypovolemia, hypothermia, tamponade, tension pneumothorax, thrombus, toxins. And then it goes into what is the big deal with having cardiac arrest on ECMO if the patient is still perfusing. The big thing is a lack of forward blood flow through the left ventricle will result in a stasis of blood. And then this will cause eventually thrombosis. Um, This can be a very bad thing, obviously. If you have a big thrombosis in your heart, that is something that can be catastrophic. So um, that is the main reason why it is bad to go into an arrest in VA ECMO, even though you have perfusion and why it is um, very important that you try and restart the native um, flow in the heart. What is really wild about this is the article even talks about that your patient may still be conscious during this. So your patient might be conscious while having a cardiac arrest. So it's really important to explain everything that's going on and to even think about um, you know the proper protocol if you're going to defibrillate the patient. Just because they're in cardiac arrest They are still being perfused by the ECMO machine and could still be conscious and you need to act accordingly if you're going to defibrillate the patient. So like I said before, this isn't a um, guideline on what you should do. This is just a example of what this person, this doctor does in this situation. So it is by no means um, what you should do uh, whenever this happens and you should always follow your doctor's orders and your hospital policy. So um, that is all I've got for y'all today. I hope that helps with the situation. I know it's something that whenever I had a VA ECMO patient, it's always something that pops up in my mind. Like what what can I expect if my patient goes into cardiac arrest? Because let's be honest, that is not a wild thing to think about when you have these patients. Um, So I hope this helped with that. If y'all have any questions, my DMs are always open on Instagram. Um if y'all are interested in any cheat sheets, I am going to come out with my impella cheat sheet very soon. It's a lot more involved than I thought it was going to be, which is why it has taken me so long, but if you go to my Etsy, you can see um my balloon pump cheat sheets along with my um pacemaker cheat sheet as well as some um ICU basic cheat sheets. So um, I will have that linked in the show notes as well. But um, like I said, if y'all have any questions, let me know. But other than that, I will talk to y'all later. Bye.